All right, everybody, welcome to B.O. Boys for Sunday, February 26th. F it, it's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat. And Clayton, this was a gigantic weekend at the box office. Historic drops, overperforming bears. Jesus has risen in the box office (laughs) rankings. And we couldn't do this alone. So we brought in the heaviest hitter there is. Box office legend, formerly of Forbes. Now he's at the rap. And most importantly, he's on the new episode of the B.O. Boys. Give it up for Scott Mendelson as he are. Yes. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Scott. So, you know, we were we were talking briefly off mic about what a huge weekend this is. And I think we should start. We're, we're going to get to the bear that everyone loves. That's number one. But. I think we got to start with this drop, this historic drop. So Ant-Man and the Wasp in Quantumania, he, you know, big opening last weekend. It got over 100 for the three-day, and, you know, everyone seemed okay, weathered the storm, bad reviews, B-Cinema score, but it, it made the $100 million in the opening weekend three-day. But now it has had, what was this, a 69% drop? Is that what we're landing at? Scott? Between 69 and 70%. We'll see what the final numbers are tomorrow. All right. I mean. Um, offhand, it is the, I believe it's the the second or, again, depending on where it, it lands in the 69 percentile, it's going to be the second or third biggest drop ever for a $100 million opener. Over under Batman v Superman, which dropped 69 and change from $166 million opening weekend. And Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 2, which dropped 72% from a then record $169 million opening weekend. Uh, that was obviously a for the fans, heavily front loaded, blah, 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 but it still did great. It ended up with 381 domestic and 1.3 billion worldwide, which at the time was the third biggest global gross ever behind James Cameron number one and James Cameron number two. Um, this one again, it's it's on two two big takeaways for me anyway. A audiences did not like it any better than critics did. You know, there was the whole oh critic you know. Critics are out of touch and, you know, audiences are fine with it, blah, blah, blah. This is clearly not the case. Um, the film got a B from CinemaScore, and I would say the numbers, while CinemaScore is, I would argue, the best, most accurate reading of what regular people think about a given movie, because it's it's not an opt-in poll. You actually have to go to the theater, watch the movie, and then get tagged by somebody who's polling people outside the theater. So it's not something you can all get your friends and run up the run up the numbers on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes user or whatever's. Mm-hmm. I do think to a certain extent that even that B was probably buffered a little bit by the kind of hardcore fans that race out on opening night and the kind of fans that make sure to vote in a Rotten Tomatoes user poll to get it up to 83% on Rotten Tomatoes user polls. Yeah. Um, and so again, I think the general audience consensus was that this wasn't that good. Mm. And as far as the one thing I think also in relation to the big drop is that we've seen this two previous times where you had a Marvel film that was either sold as or presumed to be a major mythology episode with big twists and shocking status quo changes and all of that jazz. Captain America Civil War was had a $179 million opening weekend, almost double Captain America the Winter Soldier. And then you had Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which made 187 an opening weekend, which is almost which 
I think it's more than double. Yeah, more than double the $88, $85 million opening weekend of Doctor Strange in 2016. And part of that is because you had people that took them as sort of Avengers 2.5 or Avengers 4.1, whatever you want to call it. And then that audience checked it off their bingo cards. And then for the rest of the run, you were dealing with people that were just happy to get a halfway decent Captain America 3 or a halfway decent Doctor Strange 2. Mm -hmm. But with this film, you're dealing with, okay, I would argue, and I think critical word and word of mouth would back me up on this, it's not a very satisfying Ant-Man 3. So Mm -hmm. what you're seeing is, you know, the, the diehard showed up. And they sort of buffeted the opening weekend bigger than you would have gotten if it was just the third Ant-Man. Because this is, you know, what, 105? The last Ant-Man did 75 million on opening weekend. Um, But once that audience goes bye-bye, you're left with the people that, you know, does this film work as a third Ant-Man movie slash standalone MCU superhero adventure? And I would argue from the reviews and the word of mouth and the drop internationally and worldwide, the answer is no. Um, now if you factor, you know, assuming it, it as a normal rate of descent from this point forward, it's probably going to do about 235 domestic, 525 worldwide, which is about mm-hmm. on par with the first two Ant-Man films, give or take inflation. Also, when you factor in that this film is going to do about 40 million in China versus 125 of the last Ant-Man you know, the drop, the, you know, the lack of income in China is almost going to make the difference between Ant-Man 2 and Ant-Man 3. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we saw that before with Thor Love and Thunder, which if you take out China and Russia, made more money globally than Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. But when you add in China and Russia, it made less money than Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a certain amount of nuance and, and context there. Um, same thing with, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. You know, oh, it's it's disappointing because it didn't do a billion dollars. It did 955. You throw in China and Russia by pre-COVID standards and you have a $1.1 billion grocer. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, do you, do you see, though, that this big second weekend drop plus the bad reviews plus the low audience score that, like you said, maybe was even bolstered by the super fans wanting to advocate for it plus the fact that you know now a couple of years past endgame the whole superhero thing especially the marvel thing is probably not nearly as cool at least as it was a few years ago it is not the epicenter of pop culture the way it was heading into endgame you take all those factors i mean is there a chance there's a less rosy future for these next few weeks of quantumania I mean, this, this. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, it either, you know, when you look at a drop like this, it either holds out like Harry Potter and makes it to, I don't know, 230 or whatever, or it just keeps dropping and dropping mm-hmm. and struggles to top 200 million domestic. Mm. That seems slightly unlikely because there's just not a lot of kid stuff between now and Shazam in three and a half weeks. Mm. You know, uh, Creed will play to slightly older kids and their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scream 6 is an R-rated movie. John Wick is an R-rated movie. That's right after Shazam. Shazam. Mm -hmm. And then after that, John Wick is an R-rated movie. And then Dungeons and Dragons in the 31st, which Paramount is hoping is going to be the next Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So 
Now, what might also happen is, you know, there's plenty of Marvel films that have dropped like a rock on Weekend 2 and then recovered because they were the only game in town for kids stuff. Mm. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Thor Love and Thunder. I didn't like Thor Love and Thunder, but it, it liked out okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think again, that might be a situation where the critics liked it a little bit less than the paying audiences and fine, whatever, that's fine. You know, the thing I always like to make a point to remind people when we're having this critics versus audience discourse is that, you know, back in the olden days, nobody expected movies like Jurassic Park 6 or Minions 2 or, you know, Doctor Strange 2 or whatever to get good reviews. Right. You know, three stars was a triumph for that kind of movie. Right. You know, nobody was screaming about the, you know, the the cultural you know discord because audiences or critics didn't love Batman forever. Right. Right, right, right. It just that's you know because you had films playing for adults that were mainstream pictures. You had films that were prestigious and acclaimed, but were still mainstream enough to you know make their money. Um, right. The example I always throw out, and I probably done it on this show, so I apologize, is that you know in early, in early 1990 you had a situation where stereotypically speaking, uh, men and boys or men went to see The Hunt for October. Women went to see Pretty Women, and kids went to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm. Thirty years later, everybody sees Ninja Turtles, and there's no, you know, nobody shows up in theaters for Pretty Woman and Unfair October. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, there, there's something and, about though that first ten years of Marvel. Because listen, this movie, you know, Paul Rudd, who we all love, but who's never been a movie star, playing a mm-hmm. guy who could turn himself into an ant. You know, this movie making 200 million plus domestic, 300 million, it's a success, obviously. But I think the the issue is we're judging these new batch of Marvel movies versus the first 10 years of Marvel, which is the most successful long-term movie project of, of the history of the medium. So I think that is where now they have the danger of this narrative forming that the bloom is off the rose because the new batch of movies hasn't been as well received and quantum mania could be their, you know, their Snyder, uh, Batman movie. You know, this, this could be, this, you know, uh, who's the director of this again? Not Ruben Fletcher, Peyton, 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 Peyton Reed. Reed, Peyton Reed. You don't want Peyton Reed to become their, their Zack Snyder, you know? Well, he can just go back to making movies for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, down, down with love too. I mean, it's, it's... It. <laughs> um, and again, I, I'm leery to blame any one artistic person of in course. terms of what went went wrong. Because I mean, I do think it was a terrible idea beforehand, and especially a terrible idea now mm-hmm. to sell the film as a mythology episode. Mm-hmm. You know, the witness the beginning of a new dynasty, mm-hmm. which. A, Marvel never had to do that before. That's what their competitors did. That's what the copycats did. Mm. You know, the Mm -hmm. mummy, see the beginning of a new dark universe of gods and monsters. The Dark Tower, the first in a Stephen King cinematic universe involving books we mostly don't own the rights to. But shh, don't tell anyone that. (laughs) Um, Or, you know, Transformers The Last Night. This one's not just a Transformers sequel. It's a start of a cinematic universe. And every time that backfired, every time. Mm -hmm. um, And I, I am astonished that Marvel slash Disney went that route, emphasizing the extent to which this, this would be a big mythology episode and this would be the start of the big new phase and all of that nonsense. Because that's part of why expectations were higher than they might have been if it was just sold as a third Ant-Man movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, the problem with the Marvel stuff is that the things that were the garnish have become the 
the main meal, right? And that is not a a way to create movies that people will go back and see several times because if it's all parsley, then people – that's not a salad. That's not a meal. You know what I mean? Um, I think nine times out of ten, Marvel does not sell it that way. I think Marvel and Disney are well aware that people on the internet tend to sell, you know, to, to write about how, oh, it's all about the interactivity and the cameos and the Easter eggs. And that's why people love these movies. And that's never been true. Mm-hmm. But as long as they were making money, Disney and Marvel could just stand back and let the internet do its thing because that's just free publicity. Why stop it? Um, but this time, they actually were the ones that put that narrative out there. Quite foolishly, I would argue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I'm loath to blame the marketing because nine times out of ten, they're the shoot the messenger situation. Um, but I now they're in a weird situation where the launch pad for a phase five, which was the you know the maiden voyage of their big new big bad, is kind of a flop and not a well liked flop. Mm-hmm. So now they have to basically get out in front and, and basically say what was always the subtext, which is like, look, these move you don't have to see all of these to enjoy the next one. These are supposed to be standalone user-friendly pictures. Don't worry. If you didn't like Ant-Man and the Quantumania, don't worry. You guys will still enjoy Avengers the King Dynasty. We promise. And they're in a weird position now where they have to come out and sort of you know, say the quiet part out loud, mm. which they've never had to do. Right. And right. I would argue again, if they hadn't tried to sell it as this big mythology episode, they wouldn't be in that position. Because even, you know, again, Captain America Civil War, yes, there are big picture stuff there, but at the end of the day, it's still a Captain America movie co-starring Iron Man. I think it, you know, even Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, it was the internet that was screaming about cameos and Easter eggs and all this big status quo changes. The marketing just sold it as a Doctor Strange movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie delivered as a Doctor Strange sequel, more or less. Uh, this is one of the first times where it's like, okay, they're putting the cart before the horse here. Right. Well, do you think it was a mistake? to Because like Captain America, that movie becoming basically uh, an Avengers movie, the Civil War movie basically becoming an Avengers type movie, it makes sense because he's an integral part of the Avengers. And Ant-Man was always a side quest, if you will, right? He was the the um, a little diversion in between the bigger films. And to take what made Ant-Man good, making it more street level, making it, I know there was science fiction involved in it, but, you know, making it a smaller sort of picture and then blowing it up, I don't think it served Ant-Man, the character, or Peyton Reed as the director. I don't think it, it served him well. Either of them. No, not at all. I mean, I think what we, you know, the, one of the biggest problems with Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, and this was my fear from the very first trailer, is that the movie as it plays out could involve any hero in the MCU, and the storyline would barely change an ounce. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it is not an Ant-Man story. And, you know, you can argue that, that oh, it's about you know, Scott bonding with his daughter after being gone for five years and dealing with the expectations that she had on him because she held him up as this hero figure. And, and yeah, that's kind of there, but is it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, that might have been in the original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will assume it was. I will give them the benefit of the doubt. Do you, um, do have you been hearing, because, you know, you, you now 
don't just write about box office, but you cover the whole film industry over at the wrap. What are you hearing or, or what is the scuttlebutt about what could Marvel's response to this be? You know, are they feeling a little back on their heels with the reception to this movie? You know, Marvel has not been in this position, save a, a Hulk movie back in what, 2008 or 2010. Everything's been a success. Do you feel uh, like Eternals, I would argue, was a pretty big stinker. Eternals mm-hmm. was a stinker, um, but it had the COVID cover, you know. And, yes, and, it did. It had a alibi. And they, they've, you know, and they have had a rough year reception wise. Do you think there will be any thought given to some of the uh, creative choices they've been making or some of the critiques that they get now, which is every, I mean, especially with this Ant-Man Quantumanium movie everything's on a green screen. You know, that is one of the yeah. big dings. You look at the promos for quantum mania and it looks like none of these actors ever met. There is nothing practical. I mean, more than any other Marvel movie that seems to be the feeling around this. Are you hearing any possibility where Marvel might actually take stock, have a, and you know, come well, to Jesus. I moment. think the fact, I think the fact that they delayed the Marvels to November mm-hmm is an encouraging sign that, 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 and again, you know, it's at the end of the day, they are, I, I don't know how much of the whole, we need four movies and five TV shows every year thing is by their choice or whether it's, you know, Bob Chapek, you know, we, and, and, you know, Bob Iger too. I don't want to blame everything that happened on Chapek. Um, you know, saying we need content for the Disney plus mill. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, that's another thing that they now have to come out and say, look, guys, you don't really have to watch the Disney plus shows if you don't want to, don't worry. Cause they need to have to now fight a perception that in two years, if you haven't seen all of these Marvel shows and movies that maybe you weren't interested in, you're not going to be able to enjoy Avengers, the King dynasty. And that's probably nonsense. You know, I mean, my brother-in-law saw the Avengers and that was his first MCU movie in a grand old time. Right, I took right. my daughter to the premiere of Avengers Endgame. She had barely seen any Marvel movies, and she enjoyed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Ironically, yeah. the only part that she was confused was Michael Douglas's cameo, which is ironic because she's seen the Ant Man movies. Wow! Listen, people, <laughs> so that was just people are smart. People catch up. Well, and the movies have always been very good about you know helping you out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the second trailer to Avengers: Infinity War, that entire trailer was. Here's this big bad guy. His name is Thanos. He wants to wipe out half the world. He's going to get the stones. If he gets the stones, he's going to snap his fingers and destroy the world. Let's go stop him. Mm-hmm. And that's all you need to know. Right. Like even that movie. Right, right. What's what's truly interesting about the way the Marvel movies are are now just constructed. And Scott, I don't know if you were ever a comic book person or a comic book fan. I know Pat, you were a, a fantasy baseball fan, yes. so you did not get into comic books. But my dad uh, said pick one and 80s, I picked fantasy baseball. And I think you picked Fair. correctly at the time, very, very much so. Um late eighties, uh nineties, that was the time when everything was a crossover, right? Every character was so there was a storyline that you had to buy six, seven other comics. Sometimes it was the whole line. Every Marvel comic book was uh, connected to one thing and people started to complain about it. They were having issues with it because, you know, 
as a kid, I'm nine years old. Do I have, uh, I don't have $20 to buy every Marvel title. And it, it's the same issue. It feels like history repeating itself in a different format. And you already saw what that did to the comic industry. And it's just interesting that these same problems are arising now in the, the cinematic version. Well, yes. And I, as a DC fan back in the day, yeah, I could count, the, you know, there's many times where the Batman titles that I, the Batman arc that I was enjoying at the time was kneecapped by a giant crossover. Mm-hmm. And that always made me mad. And frankly, I mean, you know, various factors notwithstanding, you can argue that Infinity War and Endgame really kneecapped several of their standalone franchises. Uh, Ant-Man, mm-hmm. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, even Black Panther. I mean, obviously nobody was expecting Chadwick Boseman to die in between the two Black Panther movies, but one of my issues I had with the film in terms of mourning his loss is that in the in-film universe, T'Challa's died three times right right on screen. It's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, that's, I realize that's not fair, but nonetheless it's like you know to be fair i had the same you know when i when i watched logan it's like oh wow professor xavier's dead except i've seen him die at least once before on screen mm-hmm. uh he's died four times in various x-men and marvel movies he died in the last stand he died in the the retcon future of days of future past he died in logan and he died in dr strange and and we yeah. may get to see him die in deadpool 3 where wolverine may, is oh back God. and professor oh, x could very well die in that movie and that would and yes. I, that would add some money to that box office i'm sure that's, that's a, gotta be a, a record draw. um all right so that's a, gotta any, be a record Anything um, else before we move on to the new movies for this weekend? Well, anything else you think we should keep in mind about this Ant Man? I drop? think we are entering a new normal hmm. where the Marvel movies are still big, but they're no longer the uncontested temple champions, and they are playing more to the fans than they used to. When hmm. you know, in, in phase one and phase two, to a certain extent, phase three, well, Marvel was very big, partially because they were these big fan driven nerd properties that also brought out the date night crowds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they played to general audiences. And now I think you're going to be something similar to what you saw. For example, in November of 2012, the twilight saga breaking dawn part two closes out the series it makes 142 on opening weekend, makes 800 million worldwide, probably playing 90% to diehard Twilight fans, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. how many people that have never seen a Twilight film are going to walk into Breaking Dawn Part 2? Uh, unless they're on a date or they're with a friend or whatever. Confused. Yeah. But because of that, that film can make a gajillion dollars right alongside Skyfall making $1.1 billion, right alongside Lincoln, Lincoln making $300 million, because the audience that went to Twilight only went to the movies that weekend because Twilight was there. And if Twilight wasn't there, they would have either gone to something else or they would have stayed home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what we may be seeing is there's going to be a ceiling on most Marvel films, you know, not, maybe not kind of the Avengers team ups. We'll see. And that ceiling is going to be closer to what it was in 2000 through 2017. Cause you gotta remember before, before black Panther, no Spider-Man, no Marvel movie without Spider-Man or Iron Man had made over $869 million. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even, you know, oh, is it going to cross a billion? You know, the big, the biggest no Spider-Man, no Iron Man Marvel movie was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 with $869 million. Um, 
before, you know, and after that it was Thor Ragnarok with 854. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2017. You know, before 2016, it was pff, Guardians of the Galaxy Part 1 with seven seven 773 million. Right. And then, you know, Captain America the Winter Soldier was 714, which was about what Dawn of the Planet of the Apes did that year. Right. So, I mean, they were, you know, everybody was in the game. Right. You know, it's it's the super the Marvel movies weren't quite dominating the way they were in 2018 and 19 and by default 21 and 22. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um well in 21 I guess. Yeah. Um So it just might So be you're going to see a scene where Yeah, I was, it just might be that 2018 and 2019 that run of Infinity War to Endgame is just a special time for this series and yes. that will be the peak. There's not going to be and, something that brings brings these movies back to being as popular as they were in that stretch. You're, a situation where a and, Captain Marvel movie that people didn't really like made over a billion dollars because it was a Marvel movie at the time when they were at their hottest. Yes, it was the first female-led Marvel movie, and discourse notwithstanding, it was a perfectly satisfying right. three-star sci-fi adventure that plays great as a Friday movie night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, and and not to be a schmuck about this, but to the extent that maybe the next Avengers film was going to be huge because you had, you know, Tom Holland's Spider-Man and Captain Marvel and and. T'Challa's Black Panther. Uh, You don't got those anymore. Right, 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 right. And we're about to to say goodbye to the Guardians. Part three, that'll be the end of them. And that is officially really the end to the link to the original golden era of the MCU. This Guardians 3 movie. I mean, Clayton and I both obviously think this is going to be gigantic. Maybe the, you know, it should be in anyone's predictions for top three of the summer. Any reason to disagree yeah. with that, Scott? No. I mean, no, but I think it's going to be an anomaly going forward. Right, right. Uh, um, And, you know, and even so, without China, and China certainly doesn't seem to be, you know, it, it's it's very complicated. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, for what, you know, it's, it's there's a variety of reasons of why Hollywood movies aren't doing as well in China as they were three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. But they're still not doing as well as they were three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. So, again, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's going to be very hard for a movie, any movie, to crack a billion these days without, you know, an extra hundred million in China, maybe an extra 25, 50 from Russia. Right, right. And that's, right. I mean, I don't want to say that's fine because what's happening in Russia is bad. Right. But, but you know, I, I think there's value in, in the $1 billion mark not being sort of the expected total for any remotely successful picture. Yes, yes. We have um, we have to lower our expectations on, on these movies. But let's move on to, you know, if the Marvel movies aren't the center of pop culture anymore, the movie that was the center of pop culture this weekend was Cocaine Bear. So... Cocaine Bear overperforming in a in an incredible way. I mean, basically overperforming by upwards of eight to ten million over what people were predicting. So, so Scott, did it made twenty three million dollars, wow. and that number kept going up over the weekend. People thought that you know, yes. as it is, when you get high, you're there's going to be a come down sometime around, you know, Saturday night, maybe Sunday morning, possibly. But it just ended up higher than they expected. 
multiplier. I mean, yeah, it's multiplier was, and I should have looked this up earlier. Do, do, do. It was a 2.655 multiplier, which is spectacular for an R-rated schlock horror movie. Wow. Or yes. Comedy. I don't know if it's a horror movie. It's not particularly scary, but that, that's a different conversation. And yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, once I saw it, it's like, okay, yeah, I, 20 wouldn't have shocked me mm-hmm. because the reviews were good. And the reviews were good in a way that's like, look, yes, it's goofy. The premise is silly, but you get what you pay for and it's a good movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Even- and I think that was always the, that's always the danger when you're selling these goofball titles is that, you know, no one's going to shell out movie theater money and movie theater time to see a so bad it's good movie. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. need to know that it's good. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think Snakes in a Play and the biggest mistake they made was not screening it for critics. Mm-hmm. Because you created the impression that it was such a piece of garbage that it was, you know, it was entirely on fumes and buzz. But, you know, had that film screened for press, I think it would have gotten good reviews. Not raves, because, but it's a, again, it's a solid three-star picture. I mean, Universal seems to have. Remember, I mean, of course you remember. Years ago, Universal tried to do their their dark universe, bring back the Universal monsters, but they've created this Universal genre now <laughs> of these sort of schlocky horror comedy action. You know, from Violent Night in the fall in the winter mm-hmm. uh, into Megan. Now into Cocaine Bear, this is almost the dark universe that they tried to create years ago. These are the universal monsters. It was the dark universe we needed, or the dark universe that we deserved. Yes. But it wasn't the one we could handle back then. Yes. Santa, Mm. Cocaine Bear, Megan. (laughs) These are the new universal monsters. Um, and so, um, well, I mean, Knock at the Cabin is a universal movie yeah. that didn't do as well yeah. as, as people hoped. And I think one it's thing also not fun. That's Scott. You read I mean, my it's mind. A dark, Dingo. Grim. Dingo. I mean, even if you know nothing about it, once you hear the premise, you think, oh, this is going to have some kind of unhappy ending. I yes. don't know what this ain't going to end happily. Yeah. And, and I mean, oh. if you want to speak to that, that seems to be the unifying theme of these successful universal movies megan violent night and now cocaine bear they are promising fun so to you is that the main reason that cocaine bear hit 23 million did it just seem that fun well the reviews were good Mm -hmm. as they were for all of these films more or less Mm -hmm. and you had any you know the joke I always, not the joke, you know, before COVID, I used to say the five ingredients for a breakout studio programmer was good reviews, an easy to explain premise, a marquee director, an ensemble cast, and the promise of escapism. Mm-hmm. For example, Baby Driver had all five, Knives Out had all five, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had all five, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You don't need all five, but it helps. Mm-hmm. And this one, I mean, you might argue only had three of the five. Right. Um, but you know, it also, you know, it was fun and it was, and again, it's, it's, it's as much as I'm perfectly fine calling these films, you know, silly cinema. Um, but they're also good, well-made pictures, I would argue, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, they're not half-assed. Right. Right. And I think that's important. Um, they're not Roger Corman movies for sure. All of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or they're, you know, the, the better Roger Corman movies. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, but, and I, I do think there's, it's kind of wonderful that Universal has kind of gotten into this um, while also releasing, you know, 
what I think is the best film of last year, which is The Fablemans, but I digress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be rooting against everything everywhere all at once because that was one of the best movies of last year. Mm-hmm. So, tomato, tomato. But Cocaine um, Bear allows them to put out a Fablemans. You know, Spielberg exactly. has to basically yes. thank this bear for whatever his next <laughs> universal picture is going to be. Yeah. Uh, maybe he'll go up to Cocaine Bear at the MTV Movie Awards and said, you saved cinema, you saved theaters, man. Uh, you know, the um, bear deserves it. $23 million opening weekend. He deserves a, a, a handshake from Spielberg. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Megan opened a 30. And having watched the unrated cut on Peacock, or at least skimmed through the violent parts, they were right to go with the PG-13. The R-rated version, if that's all the R-rated version was going to be, you didn't lose much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not their criticism nor compliment. It's just, you know, whatever. There's a little bit more blood. There's slightly, you know, one of the kills is a little bit more violent, but it's, you know, again, I think they made the right calls. Like, okay, this is what we lose if we go with the PG-13. Right. Is, you know, and you really don't lose, you know, it, it was worth it. Right. But um, isn't it interesting that Universal right now feels like they've cracked the theatrical slash streaming business model, right? Because now... With these hit movies, Peacock is a must subscribe because I think that you're going to see, I mean, you're seeing Megan dropped with the uncut. So it's something different, right? It's a different movie than they saw in the theater. You have uh, Violent Night, which dropped. You're going to have Cabin, which even though it didn't do great, I think people are going to still want to see that. And then you have Cocaine Bear that's going to be coming up. So it's like, the theatrical model send this to theaters it's big in theaters and then people will subscribe at home you can't just make these things straight to you to peacock because people won't care exactly and you know i've been screaming this for two years which is that with the exception of some netflix originals and i think netflix has advantages to this giant user base movies that play in theaters perform far better on streaming than movies that premiere on streaming. And David Zasloff knows that. Mm-hmm. You know, he saw the numbers and said, fuck this, we're going to theaters. This is insane. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I, 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 you know, it's not a complicated concept. <laughs> right. No. But what, what, shot, what surprised me is that the PVOD model that Universal more or less pioneered three years ago didn't cannibalize theatrical at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody online, you know, it's not great that, you know, Night Knock the Cabin's already on PVOD two weeks, you know, two and a half, three weeks after theaters. But, you know, movies that click theatrically, like Puss in Boots, Sing, A Quiet Place 2, you know, the ones that, you know, 45 days, 17 days, whatever later, they don't drop dead theatrically once they go into PVOD. Right. Because you keep that yeah. price. That is point. a concurrent secondary revenue stream that's allowing these films to exist theatrically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have never, you know, I have not been this optimistic about the fate of theatrical studio programmer in seven years. Yeah. Cause you know, it was June in 2016 when I wrote my first sky is falling piece about how, you know, the general audiences went to streaming and now non-event films are getting their asses kicked and, you know, will anything come to save them? And, it doesn't apply to everything. The Oscar films obviously aren't, you know, they're doing terribly theatrically. And I don't think PVOD is making up the difference, Mm -hmm. but for just, you know, pulpy genre films, I really feel something like the Northman or ambulance or what have you. I mean, it seems to be working where you're making enough on PVOD and then you're providing enough value to streaming 
that the film can be a success financially, even if it doesn't break box office records. And yeah. while some of this is speculative, I mean, they're still in the Michael Bay business. They signed, they re-signed with Platinum Dunes and brought them over to Universal, which I'm guessing they wouldn't have done if Ambulance had lost money. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, uh, Focus swears that the Northman was profitable in the in the, after everything was counted. Which that's a seventy million dollar original R-rated Viking actioner. Well, they've if talked that, to their it, financiers, and uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And if that film can do well theatrically, there's no, there's anything can. So mm-hmm. back on Cocaine Bear specifically, you know, this was directed by Elizabeth Banks, who her resume is a Pitch Perfect sequel that was huge, the second movie in the series yes. that that. What outgrows the first one at opening weekend uh, and Austin Powers two situation there? Yes, that was a clear breakout sequel yeah. of, of yes, it is Austin Powers. And then of course she um, had the infamous Charlie's Angels reboot that was a disaster back in November 2019. So, Cocaine yes. Bear was big for her. You know, she had to fairly or unfairly prove that she wasn't a flash in the pan box office wise. And no, I would say no matter what happens with this movie going forward, the $23 million opening weekend, this movie is a gigantic win for her. This is huge. Yep. She could do a sequel if she wants. Because it is well-directed. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's a, have you guys seen it? I have. I will say I was not a fan in comparison Fair. to Megan and Violent Night. I thought those were much, to me, better versions of this type of movie. Uh, but, I might agree with you, but I will say there's a scene in the second act that's just a spectacularly constructed action sequence. Okay. I, um, and uh, beyond that, I will not say. But you know, it, that basically, it's it's her saying, "Yes, I can still do action." Oh, the, the uh, with the ambulance, I, I would. Yeah. Yes. 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 Definitely, that's the best. That's the best sequence in the movie. Yes. And, yeah. And everything in here, I, I I would say my issue with Cocaine Bear is. I wanted it to be funnier. It's more that the jokes didn't land, but the, the camera was in the right spot for sure. Um, so <laughs> my biggest issue with it is I'm not even sure if this is a criticism is that the characters were developed and sympathetic enough that I had mixed feelings when they got eaten by a bear. You, you, which here you come to a movie to watch people get eaten by a bear and then you feel bad when they get eaten by a bear. Well, here's my, here's my one. Here's my big note on, on cocaine bear to not give anything away, but there is not an annoying cokehead character in this movie. You know, this movie's set in the eighties. How do you not have a Wall Street cokehead guy who goes there looking for the coke, gets eaten by the bear? That's the type of character that this movie right. probably needed movie more. Needed more of. Red shirts. Yeah, needed more exactly. Needed more villainous cokehead eighties guys for the bear to maul and us to cheer. We didn't get enough cheering. And- for the bear. I will say Ray Liotta gets a very fitting career and life finale in this movie. Um, yeah. But Elizabeth Banks, I mean, God, her last name couldn't be more applicable this weekend. She is a bankable, big studio director now. And uh, listen, whether we like this movie or not, I'm I'm always rooting for box office and I'm always rooting for Elizabeth Banks. Any wet, hot American yeah. summer. So, hey, it was a battle of the wet, hot American summer stars. And I would say Elizabeth Banks won this one, even though Paul Rudd's movie came in first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, she um, definitely got the headlines. I mean, that's yes. the thing is that I mean, she was on the brink 
uh, she needed a hit. She needed this thing to be be what it became, and and good for her. Good for her. And not to be too navel gazy about this, but it is good that a not a white guy director actually got a second chance mm-hmm. after a film as financially disastrous as Charlie's Angels. Right. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's so rarely. You're so right. That so rarely happens. And, and I don't know if it's funny. I don't know if this was the project that was announced the weekend. Was this the project that was announced basically the weekend Charlie's Angels came out? I, I think it was. I don't know. I think it was. It, I remember that was an early, early, maybe with first couple of weeks of the existence of the B.O. Boys. We were covering the Charlie's Angels episode and we did notice how they made sure to do one of those announce her next project before the weekend came out because they, they wanted to get ahead of the story. And yeah, Clayton, I'm pretty sure it was cocaine bear. And it's like that. Yeah. We, and I think we even said, and, and want to be Oh, intern Christopher, if you want to pull this audio, if you can find it, uh, I think we were like that. That's, you know, that's such a move that they do is like, yeah, she's still viable. Don't worry about it. This is going to fail, but it, she's still viable. And to have that, projects and usually those projects never get made mm-hmm. that if this was that and it got made and it is a hit that is amazing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh yeah do you scott do you foresee a cocaine bear too you know of these universal <laughs> monster movies i mean we know we got the megan 2 coming out i'm pretty sure we're getting violent night to attack on north pole will we get <laughs> you know uh, will we get a cocaine, uh, you know, uh, kingpin bear? Is he going to get into the drug trade himself? <laughs> Scarface with a bear. Yeah. Um. <laughs> there's there's so much. Ever coke since I in was a world. cub, I wanted to be a drug dealer. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I get. I mean, again, it's you know, obviously the movie's going to make decent money. I mean, it did cost thirty five million, mm-hmm. so it's you know, unless it just keeps going and going and going, it's going to be a modest hit without being an explosive. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, people seem to like it. I, I think the B minus from Cinema Score is sort of the horror curve, which mm-hmm. that's the one genre that's that pulls weird because you have people that it's too scary, it made me feel bad, and ergo the score's low. Then the other people is like it wasn't scary enough, boo hoo. Mm-hmm. And with a comedy, nobody ever downgrades a movie because it's too funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But with horror, sometimes you'll get, oh, it's too scary. It made me feel unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, or it had a downer ending, and now I feel bad, as horror tends to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, will there be a cocaine bear too? If they want to make one, yes. But it will be up to them, and that's a good place to be. Right, right. And if they make a sequel, then this is another example of a, of a very old school concept in that it's an, a new franchise, an original franchise, where the sequel doesn't exist because it was planned years in advance and is part of some giant cinematic universe or what have you. The sequel exists because people liked the first one, they saw the first one, it made money, and they think people will see another one. Right, right. Which mm-hmm. back in my day is how sequel franchises worked. Right. That's how oh, we yeah. got our mannequin twos and our weekend at birdie twos <laughs> because yes. people love the originals, not because they planned out a weekend at Bernie's cinematic universe years in advance. So yeah, they weren't like, well, the, we got to write mannequin one because then the second one mannequin's going to be on the loose and we need to get there. Yeah. Phase like, two. No. Is on the loose. Yeah, they didn't do a a four-year presentation of the Mannequin movies. The first one was just a hit. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, 
let's get to the number three movie this weekend, which uh, uh, to me, this was the, it's, you know, it's the biggest surprise, but then again, it shouldn't have been. So the Kelsey Grammer star Jesus Revolution from Lionsgate opened at number three this weekend to $15.5 million. So, you know, this is from the director of the Kurt Warner movie, American Underdog. Um, This director has had several hits in this sort of religious movie space, but this was the big dog. Jesus is the star of this. And Jesus is a movie star. I mean, I think, I think, <laughs> is it safe to say that Jesus is yeah. he very is valuable IP? Character. Mm-hmm. So, so um, where, where, where were you, what, did this take you by surprise, Scott, or did you, did you see the no. second coming? Well, yes and no. I was happily surprised only in that, oh good, these movies can still do this. Mm-hmm. Because this to me is as promising a sign of business as usual box office as anything you could ask for. Mm-hmm. Because prior to COVID, these films would often open with anywhere from 13 to 16 to $17 million. It was, you know, The War Room, I Can Only Imagine, The Shack, uh, Miracles from Heaven, Heaven is for Real, some of them from Sony, some of them from Lionsgate. Um and that they were a, a viable genre and they would pull in decent chunks of change like that. And, you know, the, the, the grim weekend of, of March 13th, 2020, I, I think it was, I can, I apologize. One's called like, I can only imagine the other one's called something else. They're very similar titles, but that film opened a little below expectations because the world was starting to shut down. And that was one of the titles that I think would, you know, that was in theaters when the world shut down, that probably had you know got kneecapped. Mm-hmm. Bloodshot was always going to be a bomb. Hunt was always going to be a bomb. Yeah. Onward mm-hmm. was always going to be a bomb. Exactly. Et cetera, you know, Birds of Prey was pretty much done. Uh, I would say the only films that got really shellacked mid-run were, I can only imagine, and The Invisible Man. Yes. Yep. Um, Invisible Man could have got to hundred, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, the fact that this film, which is also you know, an aspirational crowd pleasing, you know, it's a Christian film in the veggie tales vein and mm-hmm. that it is not good. You know, it's not a persecution complex melodrama. Mm-hmm. It's not God's not dead mm-hmm. or, you know, October baby or whatever. Um, God's not dead is the exception to the rule. Cause that film made 65 million domestic in uh, early 2014. Most faith-based films that do exceptionally well are from a major studio like Lionsgate or Sony, and, or uh, uh, Breakthrough, which was Fox. That was right when Fox got bought by Disney. Um, and they are, again, they're, they're everyone welcome dramas. Right, right, right. And they're fun. Some of them, like, yeah, I yeah, was they're just gonna say, fun. This looks fun. This looks fun. Yeah. And even 10 years ago, you know, when you had films like Soul Surfer and Heaven is for Real, Yes, they were clearly faith-based films, but they were also mainstream, star-driven, four-quadrant dramas that were already starting to become an endangered species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, heaven, so, heaven is real. Was Jennifer Garner was the was the lead yes, of that movie? Miracles from Heaven. Oh, miracles! Uh, I'm miracle, sorry, miracles from Heaven. No, that's okay. Mir- uh, heaven is for real. Is the one with Greg Kinnear and Margot Martindale. That's and right. if you want to see a faith-based drama, great. If you want to see a pretty good family melodrama with Greg Kinnear and Margot Martindale, there you go. 
you know, right. it's it is skewed way to tie this almost back to the MCU, where for a lot of these films, the faith based stuff is the seasoning, but it's not necessarily the main course. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, uh, yeah, varying for- quality notwithstanding, they work as just studio pictures. Right. I mean, for this movie, the Jesus Revolution, you're basically selling. It's a Kelsey Grammer movie where he's going to play an uptight person in a role of authority who's going to get his shirt unstuffed by the ultimate slacker, Jesus. I mean, this is as if just some kind of hippie slacker walked into Frazier's apartment and, you know, sort of took him down a peg. That's what they're selling here. It just happens to be faith-based. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, John Irwin, I believe is one of the directors, you know, he's, you know, he's the first guy to ever have four movies get an A plus from cinema score. Wow. Wow. Just awesome. I mean, yeah, obviously the, the polling is a little slanted in terms of demographics, but oh well. Right. right. <laughs> so, so do uh, you see this the other catching? thing? Pat's, oh, go for it. Sorry, just interrupt uh, quickly is that this movie also has an actor that starred in the chosen which has been a fathom event phenomenon so this gentleman and i'm trying to figure because it was in one of these sections of this deadline article i'm trying to find it but this gentleman is shaping up to be a faith-based star and i know kelsey grammar is the name that the general public knows but this gentleman seems like he's having a career in these movies or these television shows, and he could be a star in these sort of films going forward, which would be amazing. Yeah. No, that's that's entirely possible. And as long as he sticks to this specific subgenre, that may well be the case. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, to use a goofy example, but, you know, Denzel, <clears throat> Denzel Washington is a butts and seats movie star when he's Righteous Revenger Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have a star in a specific box, then yes, movie stardom can exist. Yes. Do, you, do um, you see um, any more mainstream crossover potential going forward for Jesus Revolution? Does this feel like a one weekend phenomenon? drop off the face of the earth um, or you know is jesus going to be here for a while because i mean well i mean it it might be here for a while just because it's haha preaching the converted mm-hmm. uh, but you know movie like the shack which starred sam worthington octavia spencer so again mainstream stars uh that op- that made 57 million domestic in early 2017 from a 16 million dollar opening mm-hmm. so that stuck around for a while mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and again the 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 you know, I don't know what a successful film like this does in the new COVID normal. So I don't know if it's going to be put this. If it plays like these films that we've been talking about, it will not drop dead next weekend at all. Right, right, right. And this is a word of mouth sort of hit. This is what we call a church yes. bus hit. And uh, the gentleman I'm I'm looking the name for was Jonathan Rumi, I think is his name. Okay. And I'm also seeing here that. This movie, and the reason why the tracking was all off on this, is because it had a staggering amount of walk-up business. Wow. 74% of those seeing this movie bought the ticket the day of or the day before, which is not what you see with a lot of Marvel movies. You know, like, this is definitely a... You still. Yes. But now it's all pre... It's all pre-orders. Yeah. 
And that is a terrific stat that I didn't even catch. Wow. Um, that's terrific. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, I, I think, again, I have not seen the movie. I can't speak to the film, but I don't think it's going, it, I don't think it's going to vanish off the face of the earth. Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, that's also seems because like the, a lot of the films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that seems like the type of response that you would have imagined Jesus's preaching must have gotten back in the day. A lot of walk up business, you know, a lot of word of mouth. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They weren't really pre-ordering uh, reservations to the speeches. It was a lot of walk up. All they did was walk up. So it, it makes sense that his film has got a lot of walk up business as well. That had a very cool preacher vibe to it that I enjoyed. Well, you know, I'm in, I'm inspired by the films that we're talking about. You know, I, I did a little snorting when we were talking about Cocaine Bear, and I go into preacher mode and talking Jesus Revolution. Um, and listen, it's, it's, it is funny, yeah, that it was like decadence versus versus kind of holiness at the, at the theater. Well, it was, and that's for very everyone. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which is how the market's going to survive, how it's going to come back. You have something for everyone. And say what you will about Marvel, the most important thing is that even if Marvel is in some kind of decline, and we'll see, people are still showing up for other stuff, too. Mm. And that's what's so important. Right. right. Yes. Um, yeah. The temple is doing its for- job in a way, right? Because it yes. is keeping the, the, you know, the tent up. So that people yes. can come in and be converted uh, by Jesus, <laughs> or you know, do some, do some rails with the bear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's this is what a healthy theatrical marketplace looks like. And I think we would have been here a lot sooner had the studios not been, for a variety of reasons, some better than others, gun shy about actually putting out a regular theatrical slate. Yep. Stingy um, with the product. I think now that Wall Street has said, yeah, never mind everything we said about streaming, we want profits now. Now, you know, I think it's it's open season. Because of course you gotta release the stuff in theater. That's the only way you're gonna make hard revenue. I I mean, listen, while we got you here, Scott, we should look ahead just a little bit to what this March is. And this March is so exciting to me. I mean, the fact that you have Creed and Scream and Shazam and John Wick. Uh, I feel like I might even be missing a big one that's coming out in March, but um, 65, 65 that's the Adam driver picture versus the dinosaurs. And you know what? I have, um, I have a lot more high hope for that movie. And I know that's a much bigger scale movie than things like Cocaine Bear or Megan yeah. or Violent Night. It definitely needs to to open 50, 60 plus to be able to uh, be successful. But wait, 65? 65. You would, would you? I don't think it was that expensive. Well, I, like, but I, mean, it's, I, I, I would guess that that is a movie that needs to make a hundred million to be successful, right? Do you see that as a movie that can uh, make seventy or eighty domestic and be considered successful? Well, if it does well overseas, sure. Right, that's that's the big true. Question. That's true. It, 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 you're, but you're right. Yes, it's a ninety million dollar picture, so it can't. You know, right? You know, Violet Night type opening isn't going to be anywhere near good enough. Right. Mm-hmm. That being said, I have to assume Sony isn't oblivious to what the marketplace looks like now, mm-hmm. and I think this is the kind of movie that is sort of protected by their first look pay deal with Netflix. Mm-hmm. 
they'll be getting paid yeah, a lot. Paid a lot of money in, I believe, late 2021. Yeah, to basically get the first ATV window for Sony theatricals. Mm-hmm. And good for Netflix for realizing slightly out of the curve that they needed theatrical movies to boost their viewership numbers. And good for Sony to saying, to hell with the streaming war, we're going to get rich by selling the guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they have an extra layer of protection to justify making films like 65 and The Woman King and uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. So even if they don't break out huge at the box office, although Woman King did well domestically, Crawdads was a huge hit, just period. You have that layer of, okay, well, this is part of what we Netflix paid us for, right? if that makes sense. We're getting that cash no matter what. Um, And and I definitely feel more confident in, in an original sort of gonzo premise like 65 coming off of the success we've seen with Megan, Violet Knight, Cocaine Bear. But yeah, looking ahead, what is your thought just on this next month of March? There is no Marvel movie, yet I feel like we may have a a potential for a big hit every single week of the month. Yes, I think this next March is going to be a sign that we're back for good or not, Mm. because this is the most crowded March we've had at least since 2018, if not 2017. Wow. Um, And um, Creed, that's the kind of film that opens the 35, 40 million. Um, Scream is tracking at around 35, 40 million. And assuming the reviews are good, I don't see any reason why it won't get there. People like the last one. You have earned goodwill. I don't think Jenna Ortega is going to be the difference between a hit and a flop, but I think she gets you a few extra bucks. She's an added value element, Mm -hmm. which is why, and I have no idea, but I will laugh very hard if it goes G.I. Joe retaliation and she dies in the opening scene. Oh, no. But I digress. No, they can't. (laughs) I'm guessing that's not going to happen. They cannot. I think you've got to do reshoots if that was the case, because I'm I'm more bullish on Jenny Ortega as a as a driver for this than you are only because I, I work with a younger generation that are very into Jenny Ortega in a way that, and I know this is like an R rated film, but they find a way life. Yeah. And that's, and I um, think that's a, that's, I mean, and also, like you said, it's goodwill towards this franchise People yes. are very excited for it uh, because the last one was good. But I do think she's a big element of why, because Wednesday was a smash and she's oh, sort yeah. of a style icon now. So she better be the the final girl here. If she's not, <laughs> I mean, this is, there's something that they, they messed up hey, over there. If they had uh, the kind of courage that Wes Craven had once upon a time, she'd die halfway through the movie. No. I mean, listen, they killed Jamie Kennedy in that second movie, and that was shocking. Exactly. And, and some people and that say that the awesome. franchise the franchise hasn't recovered from that. I don't and agree. I think that was because a- not everything's supposed to be a 12-film franchise. Absolutely. There was never supposed um, to be six screams, but now we yeah. have it, and we're happy about it. Yeah. And uh, 65, I, I don't know. I honestly don't. Um Shazam, it's tracking badly, but they still got three and a half weeks, and they really are about to start the marketing campaign right now. Mm-hmm. I know it's screened for some press uh, on Saturday. I've not seen it. Uh, but if it's as good as the first film, and the first film was excellent, I expect that they'll be screening it out the wazoo, and they'll let the embargo drop early enough to spread the good word. Now, I do think the film 
had it opened in say 2021 or 2022 and not a non-COVID time and without all the ridiculous DC melodrama that yeah, I do think the film might have been a breakout sequel. People saw the first Shazam. They liked the first Shazam. Mm-hmm. They saw it again or discovered it when it was in post theatrical. And so in the normal world, this would be one of those films where all the earned goodwill from the first one pays off in the second one. But circumstances being what they are, I'm no longer as confident as I might have been about that diagnosis. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, one. Yeah, this, I, really I think like Shazam, Shazam will be a test of whether people will go see a movie that in the scheme of things, if you're talking DCEU wise, matters not right yeah the, the, the strings and the and the and the the things that are coming out of this film will not be tied up most likely and so d- will this be enough of a good movie that it can stand alone and that's going to be the and, huge question or are people going to say it's not worth my time because it's not part of the new plan the new um, 10 movie yeah, 10 but, year plan. I mean, which is a shame because all they have to say is Look, if people like Zachary Levi as Shazam, we're keeping him as Shazam. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, you know, indirectly, I'm guessing that's what they're planning because why discard something that works? True. Right. And, he, um, and he's not, and he's not been an issue in any yeah. significant way, uh, you know, vis a vis. He has you know. not gone on a Carmen San Diego type crime spree. Absolutely. Yes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's a very good way of saying that. Yes. Um, do what? <laughs> I do um, hope that there was doo playing in the car part of the time. Yes. <laughs> and then John Wick 4, which, I mean, the you know, the first one, the second one doubled the first one. The third one doubled the second one. I don't think this was going to double the third one just because different world and, you know, at some point you peak. But mm-hmm. assuming it's a good movie. I think it should perform on on par with the third one. Mm-hmm. Because unlike a lot of franchises, this is one that gets part of its popularity stems from a promise that this will be a good, well-made movie mm-hmm. made by people who are good at what they do, who make a movie that looks good on an IMAX or Dolby Vision screen, and you get your money's worth. Yeah, There's a certain polish and spectacle and, and care that you see with all three John Wick movies. They feel like they're made by hand. Mm-hmm. And assuming this continues that, I don't see any reason for a huge drop off. Now, three years ago, when John Wick 3 was kicking ass, my big question was is the fourth one going to do what Mr. Impossible, J- J- Jason Bourne, Resident Evil, Fast and Furious did, which is go into hyperdrive overseas in the fourth chapter? I'm mm-hmm. obviously, for a number of reasons, no longer as confident about that as I might have been three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. One of that is because China's not in play the way it might have been. You know, um, not that the other three played in China, as far as I know at all, but that might have been something that was on their mind. Right. Um, that being said, again, you know, the last one cost 75. Let's say this one cost 90. I don't know. So, you know, if it does the same as the third one, everyone will be very happy. Yeah. And, and now, I will Scott, say. Can I ask you, with with the proliferation of this 87 North type action movie do you think that diminishes john wick i think john wick is the gold standard of all those i mean it's a crown jewel of that sort of film do you think that's that all those films are diluting uh that brand at all 
I don't think so because I think the only people that know are people that are aware enough to still also know that John Wick is better than, say, Bullet Train mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Gunpowder Milkshake or what have you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That that is not a that could be a situ- that could be a scenario, but I don't think so. Because again, I do still think that people like John Wick because of the John Wick character played by Keanu Reeves and the the specific variables of the specific franchise. And the fact that 8711 also made Bullet Train and Violent Night and Nobody and all that jazz. Many of them are good movies. Um, you know, I still think John Wick is its own thing. Um yeah. I hope I'm right. <laughs> yeah, and you could always bring them together at some point. I think everyone's hoping for a nobody John Wick mm. crossover someday. Um, and, and and with the with, one thing that is so interesting to note with John Wick coming out in March of 2023 is there was a time when John Wick four and the Matrix was it four. We're both supposed yeah. to come out against each other in, would that have been May 2020? Yes. Yeah, May 2021, the pre-Memorial Day weekend. And obviously that was never going to happen. It just made for fun conversations. Right, right. But even then, I argued that at least domestically, John Wick was going to kick its ass. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I think now we're seeing worldwide the same thing. Yeah. Because, uh, you know. Call me crazy. I think John Wick's going to make do better than 170 Global. I think so. And I don't think HBO Max was that big of a factor. I really don't. No, not at all. Just because all that year, the movies that succeeded, succeeded. Right. I mean, Dune still crawled the 400 million, for God's sakes. Right. Godzilla v. v. Kong. Yeah, Godzilla v. Kong did more than Godzilla King of the Monsters. A lot more. Right. Right, right. Um, you know, Conjuring Three made two hundred on a thirty-nine budget. Right. right. Um, yeah, Matrix Four was always going to bomb, and John Wick Four. Yeah, uh, it would be shocking if it's not a success. So March is looking very exciting. But there's one more. What am I? Because we have Paramount's Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves, which That's, they are very yeah. high on. They, you know, they're premiering at South by Southwest. They think they've got the goods. And so far, every piece of marketing that I've seen shows that they're learning the right lessons from Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. Okay. Which is that they made a movie that was fun and quirky and colorful with a familiar cast that kids know, that adults know. And it's the kind of film that, even if you don't give two craps about Dungeons and Dragons, looks like a darn fun time at the movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the case? I don't know. Is that I mean, obviously I'm not expecting to do Jumanji numbers. That bill made nine hundred million dollars. Right, you know, right. They'd be thrilled with with uh, you know three hundred. I'm pretty sure. Right, right. Could it do Sonic um, numbers? To, yeah, that's actually a good comparison. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's what you're. That's what they're open for. Yeah, and I well, think Dungeons and Dragons benefits from the fact that any other attempts at a Dungeon and Dragon movie has done so poorly that they're not even remembered. So I, yes. I mean I, I I think there is there there was the one with what Marlon Wayans and yes. uh, someone else and that, this was that guy yeah. that played Jimmy Olsen and Lois and Clark whose name I don't remember. Yeah, and so that's such a forgettable movie that it's not going to be tainted. This isn't an, a tainted nope. IP at the, except for maybe super hardcore uh, a fan. Well, apparently there's some kind of online controversy about Dungeons and Dragons as it relates to the board game that. 
I looked it up just because I was curious. It's like, I'm pretty sure that won't affect the movie because I read on it and I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Absolutely. I read it up on so that too. It is so inside baseball yeah. that it's like, I understand a third of these words. Mm-hmm. Can you explain it? I have no clue. I was, I also was doing it to be like, is this going to affect the movie? And halfway through, I was like, this is not going to affect the movie. And it's making my head hurt. And so I stopped exactly. reading. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But it, anyway, it is a um, very exciting next couple of months at the box office. And it's nice to know that all of this is very possible without there being, you know, Shazam's a superhero movie, but Shazam's probably way down the list of even the movies that we're yeah. expecting to be the big hits in March and April. So this is all happening without it being driven by superhero movies. You know, it is and then exciting. In April, see. Super Mario Brothers movie, which is my Hail Mary pick for the biggest grocer of the year. Wow. Yes, I think we're all on that. I, I believe we're all on that same page that this is going to Fair be enough. massive. Yeah. Because do you know anyone in any walk of your lives, civilian, you know, movie nerds, civilians that aren't at least somewhat curious about it and that could probably easily be coaxed into seeing it if somebody they knew wanted to go, whether it's a child, whether it's a parent, whether it's a cousin, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's Illumination as well, and they yeah. always... It's a Mario movie produced by Nintendo from the guys that made Minions and Sick. Yeah, yeah. It, I think we were mentioning thing. this on our, our last episode about how the, the age range for Mario is staggering because yeah. there are people who played that are in their late 50s who grew up playing Mario and there are little kids that are playing it on the switch or whatnot. I mean, this thing that we talk about and, Barbie being an IP that's never been exploited. Yeah. I mean, Mario's the big one this year that has never been exploited and the sky's the limit for that film. And that's another situation where the previous attempt was so awful that nobody, barely anyone remembers it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The live action version. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it. Cause this is animation. Exactly where it should live. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, obviously we'll have you on before that opens to, to talk more about it, but I, I yeah, that thing's going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got, it's basically got April to itself, which isn't abnormal because there are plenty of Aprils where you had like a fast and furious movie and then three weeks of nothing until the summer starts. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So right. That's you know, pre COVID. That's normal. Right. You've got Mario brothers on the seventh universal's other movie, Renfeld. They're just uh, knocking them out yeah. on the 14th. Along with Screen Gems, The Pope's Exorcist, which looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. And this is from someone that generally doesn't get into Exorcist movies that much because I'm Jewish. I don't care. Mm -hmm. um, but The Pope's such a big, I mean, talk about a yeah. big get. He's for, big IP. Exactly. An Crow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then on the, very little on the 21st. Yeah. So I mean. Uh, Evil Dead Rise. Oh, Evil Dead Rising could be big. And you know what? That's a great thing to to bring up is they better put some ad dollars behind that friggin' movie. We cannot have another last dance situation here or a house party. Well, to be fair, and I don't disagree with you, but they said they were going to expand it in weekend two. And I thought they were just going to you know, throw in a couple extra hundred screens, but they doubled the screen count and put it on 3000 screens You're right, on, you know, on the second weekend. What, what do you see as the reasoning to that? Uh, to that strategy, why I not open it? I think they ran the numbers and said, 
we can make eight million dollars on 1500 screens and and save a lot of money mm. or we can basically double our marketing spend and double our screen count and maybe make 12 million mm. okay so they just didn't see the the world in which magic mike makes in the high teens in an opening weekend which i guess that's fair uh, I, think the second one been the, I think 15 would have been the peak yeah yeah well and 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 to go back to i think our thesis of like especially right now these movies need to promise fun. Magic Mike yeah. 3 wasn't promising the same fun that Magic Mike XXL did or that Cocaine Bear does or that Megan does or that maybe Renfield will. I think Renfield is promising that. And so Magic yeah. Mike 3 wasn't really doing that. It was it was promising something more low key. It was it felt like a Magic Mike movie for the pure flicks slash pure teens crowd. Mm -hmm. You know, it seemed aimed at the people on Twitter that are always complaining about sex scenes. Right. Right. Um, right. But so it's, it's, I think we're all excited about these, these next couple of months and I, I'm feeling optimistic, you know, and, and one last thing I'll bring up that makes me feel optimistic about the box office is this greatest showman esque run for <laughs> Puss in Boots. I mean, it may, we may be changing it. You know, the nomenclature may no longer be the greatest showman run. You may be calling these leggy holiday films that open small and then leg out to giant numbers. That may be a Puss in Boots last witch situation going forward. You know, it's, you know, what's wonderful is, is five years ago when, when greatest showman was doing its thing, I, you know, I made the joke about how the greatest showman is out there. It can't be bargained with reason with, or doesn't feel pity or remorse. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you're dead. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, ha ha, I'm funny, whatever. I'm never going to be able to make that joke a dead. But then I did. Yeah. I was able to because of everything everywhere all at once. And then I did it again with Puss in Boots. Yes. So we've actually had two Greatest Showman type runs in a year. In a year where allegedly nobody was going to the movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. kids weren't going to the movies. That's the other yeah. thing too. Families weren't going to the movies. Yeah. Uh, you know. Sure, they were. Yeah. <laughs> they were. And they... you should have realized when Sonic made $70 million in opening weekend. Exactly. Absolutely. They just weren't going to Disney movies. Or specifically yeah, Pixar which movies. Yeah, is... Which is a complicated and awkward conversation. Yeah. But I think yeah. Shapek really screwed the pooch there. Yeah. And yeah. And they I weren't don't know going if the to see can be undone. They weren't going to see Lao Lao Crocodile because he yeah. is a certified bum, as yeah. we have said. He's certified <laughs> yeah. bum IP who should be drummed out of Hollywood. <laughs> and yet weirdly one of Javier Bardem's best performances. Oh sure. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Javier Bardem yeah. could stay, but Lyle never allowed back yeah. in Hollywood. That was a disaster. <laughs> Javier's, Javier's got the gold. He's he can stay. Um, yeah. The thing with we were talking earlier about the PVOD not cannibalizing. This film went to PVOD mm -hmm. weeks ago, and it is still priced at thirty dollars to buy and twenty five to rent. And you know what? Some families are doing that, but it ain't keeping other families from going to the theater. Yeah, I mean it's 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 fucking amazing, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, there's and no it, other it way might, to say it. it. And it's opens in Japan. It still hasn't opened in Japan yet. Wow, oh my goodness. Which could be ten million, or it could be fifty. Who knows? Japan's Who knows? a very it's, it's a very unpredictable marketplace. Wow. Yeah. But but as oh. we've been saying, and and they've listened to us, they've kept 
it off the cock. They have not dropped mm-hmm. puss on the cock. They have let it stay theatrical and PVOD only. And that has yep. been a huge, well, huge. I think that's because they still have a deal with Netflix, which means Netflix gets it sometime this year. So it couldn't have been. DreamWorks even... is under a different deal. Wow. So the puss gets flicked before it ever lands on the cock. Yes. That is huge. Yes. Wow. News. I mean, you know, I didn't know the, it could one get flicked. Debut, one of the most watched movies on streaming last year was Sing 2 on Netflix. That is an amazing point. They never even had the opportunity to drop the puss on the cock. It had to get flicked first. <laughs> You've been practicing that one for a while, that, haven't you? I mean, it, it's yeah. been a big story that we've been covering, Scott. We've been covering this, yeah. this puss on the cock story. Absolutely. And we do have a lot of kids listening, so that's why we're trying not to of be, course. you know, we're trying to be a little bit more family friendly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, uh, I'm talking about on the cock. So well, it's Scott, just commonly used uh, vernacular in in, in the yes. business. You know yeah. that as as as, as working at the rap. You know that's that's the how they <laughs> refer yeah. to that movie in that service. Yeah, because you, yes. you can't you can't waste valuable uh, magazine real estate. Syllables. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So uh, uh. Scott, uh, listen, we appreciate every time you're on the show, giving us your time. So any anything else stick out to you about this past weekend or coming up? What is your sort of final take about where we are right now, this moment in time, late February in the box office? I think 2022 was down by about a third from 2019, but it also had a third fewer movies. Mm-hmm. I think as long as we get you know, the same number of movies that we would have gotten in a normal times. I am optimistic enough to think that box office might be pretty close to pre COVID times. Wow. Maybe not 2019. Cause you don't have, you know, the last Avengers and the last star Wars, and the last toy story. So we thought and all that nonsense, but you know, maybe 2016, 2017, 2018, I, I, I think, I think the state of theatrical is as strong as we could expect at this point in time after a three year pandemic. Wow. And that's wow. great to hear. That, From and, your lips uh, to Jesus's ears. Yeah. <laughs> and we all it all we owe it all to uh, Godzilla and King Kong. Yes. Never listen, I I I will always say the biggest disgrace of last year's Oscars was not the slap. It was the fact that Godzilla and Kong didn't get to open the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. They should have been front and center. <laughs> welcoming us to the academy awards and maybe this year you make up for it by putting megan and cocaine bear to open the show (laughs) yeah well i will say the first sign of hope in 2021 was tom and jerry opening to 14 million in early february yes because that was that was like holy shit um because that's you know and i I coined the phrase successful disappointment and that's you know basically where oh my god this film is doing as well as it would have if it kind of sort of stumbled in pre-covid times that's wonderful yeah um and yeah i mean it's it's and it's frustrating because godzilla v kong venom quiet place 2 spider-man obviously Tentpoles could have been back in full form as early as mid 2021 if the industry had let, let that be the case Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we're back now, and we've got yeah. even non-tent polls doing great business at the box office. So I, I, I feel, and I think we're all feeling more optimistic on this episode than than we have, and maybe any of our get-togethers these last few years. So 
But to yep. be fair, I am on cocaine. To to be fair, <laughs> yes. We yeah. we've all hung out with the bear this weekend, so who knows what's yeah. going on. That's a, a new. That's a good term to now coin. Ah, uh, what did you do this weekend? Ah, uh, hung out with the bear. If you hung know out what with I mean. the bear, I gotta go. I'm gonna go in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm gonna go hang out with the bear. Um. Yeah. So Scott, tell our listeners, our wanna be old boys, wanna be old girls, wanna be old people, people, where they could find you right now and what you have cooking up over at the wrap. Uh, I'm at the wrap.com. I'm at Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. I am basically doing sort of macro and uh, film journalism. We did a lot. We're doing a lot of stories about how the overwhelming narrative of the earnings air month that is about to end, you know, with, with everyone getting their earnings released the quarter is that people are betting on theatrical again because they realize if they want revenue, they can't just make turn into a streaming widget. And, you know, Lionsgate's, you know, had a good, you know, had a stock upswing because of the strength of its theatrical slate. Um, you know, Disney is saying, hey, we're going to try to keep our animated movies off Disney Plus for a little bit longer. Uh, David Zasloff, whether he is good or evil, he's been at the front, at the forefront of saying, you know, streaming cannot be the one size solution to everything. Theatrical is where it starts. You know, straight streaming movies don't make anybody any money. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's a shame that Batgirl was a casualty of that, but he's right. Will um, and will we ever you know, there's see no Batgirl? Law saying, Scott, will we ever? I doubt see it. it. Wow. And I, but I think also think it'd be the easiest thing in the world for Gunn and Saffron just to call up Leslie Grace and say, "Hey, do you want to play Batgirl again in something else?" Mm-hmm. 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 Um. Um. Well, very exciting. So follow Scott Mendelson uh, on Twitter, but more importantly, read him over at The Wrap. Must read all the time. Oh, and I started doing on Tuesdays a Twitter Spaces with Jeremy Fuster, the actual box office reporter at The Wrap. Um, usually it's around Tuesdays around noonish, but depending on our schedule, it might be over under. But so. Uh, very exciting. Yeah. Oh, I've got to, I've got to catch that one here. Anytime we get a chance to hear Scott Mendelson, uh, you got to take that you got to take that opportunity. So yeah, visit uh, him it's over on Twitter. Spaces. in the work office, so there's less vulgarity. Right. Nice. Okay. So uh, yeah, so Clayton, I think we've done it. Obviously, of course, email us at the Bo Boys Podcast at gmail dot com. Follow us on Twitter at the Bo Boys Pod. And, uh, you know, watch us on YouTube as you're doing right now. Subscribe, smash that like button, smash it right down there and do that. And, uh, yeah, and give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you're listening. But do it on Apple because that's the only one that really matters. And that is it. And I think we've done it. Well, Pat, do you you also have another podcast? Right? And I do have another podcast. It's called The Show Me the Money. It's on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. We are covering the race to the Academy Awards and the SAG Awards as of this recording just happened. So we'll be covering the SAG Awards and telling you who to gamble on for the upcoming Academy Awards. Because it is, of course, a gambling-based podcast that I co-host with Nick Turner. Gambling problem? Call one eight seven seven eight hope and y 467-369. That's 467-369. Yes, yeah, so call uh, it or no. If you want to. 
All right. So yeah. that is it. All right. Okie dokie. Well, thank anything. you very much. Thank you. I don't think there's anything left to say, Scott, except for until next time. We'll, we'll smell, smell you, at you at the, the box office. office. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it.